There we go. Hey, hey. I know y'all can hear me fine, but um, if the mic's not on, anybody watching online, you know, that's all they see. So. so to bless our brothers and sisters watching from wherever they are. All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? We're good. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, welcome to City Light. My name is Nate, one of the pastors here. If you're new today or haven't gotten plugged in yet, there is a connect card on your seat. Please fill that out. Take it to the lobby on your way out. We would love to exchange a gift for you. Uh, as you saw on the screen, there's a young adult retreat uh, this coming summer in a couple of months. And so we'd love for you to join us there. If you would self-categorize as a young adult, all right? Uh, be wise about that, all right? Uh, I won't give you an age necessarily, but you know, okay? You know, all right? Um, uh, so please join us there. We would love for you. Uh, retreats, I, I really fully believe in the power of a retreat at every age, at every demographic in life. Uh, and so young adults, uh, please make this a priority. God can really mark your life. And so take two days, get away from the, what the world's going on, hyper-focus on the Lord, get around people who love the same things as you. Uh, it's worth your investment with the cost. It's worth the investment of your time. I have seen time and time again, time and time again, the Lord mark people forever at a, an environment like a retreat. It's so conducive for your spiritual growth. So please, please sign up. You can do that online. Also remember, so it's coming up. Okay, I've said this every week forever now. Uh, celebrate week coming up in two weeks. We're going to celebrate our city by serving our city. Uh, we're going to overwhelm our city with good deeds in the name of Jesus. And so that's June 18th is the block party and then the 20th through the 25th. Uh, we have more block parties throughout the city, and we have sports camp every night starting at 5 o'clock. So uh, bring your kids, bring your neighbor's kids, ask them first, okay, but invite them, okay, don't kidnap your neighbor's kids, but bring them, uh, bring anybody that you can think of, the, the kids are going to have a great time, and they're going to hear about the Lord while they have a great time. Uh, sign up to serve, and so as I encourage you, right, we serve all the time around here, but this week's going to be hyper-focused hyper on that, so take a day off work. I don't know, take half a day, whatever. Just prioritize, come in at night, come in during the day. We have stuff literally all day for an entire week. Uh, and so join us, make it a priority to join God in what he's doing there. So you can sign up. There's a QR code on the thing on your seat for easy access to that. Uh, finally, uh, yesterday, um, there's a group at Falls Church High School called Parents in Action. Uh, and uh, it's one of the things that our partnership, uh, our partners, uh, uh, Carolina, who you guys probably heard here and there, uh, she works at the school, and she's our main partner there. And so anyway, she runs this class to help support and encourage parents, uh, particularly as they navigate um, raising their kids in the environment that's in. So uh, our team, our C.Luz team, especially, and some of our interns got to go yesterday. I uh, got to provide them with some gifts to bless them from graduating from their class uh, and just to show the love of Jesus there. And so I just wanted to always uh, let you know some of the things that are going on. Uh, and so it was really cool just to see us. Uh, I actually met with Carolina on Thursday, I think, because I had uh, some people here I wanted her to meet. Uh, and in the office, while she was talking about the partnership with City Light in the last two years, she started tearing up uh, and getting like goosebumps on her, on her arm. Every, she would just go story after story of City Light coming through to really help and bless a family in need. Uh, and her just being totally overwhelmed with the love that is shown through that. Uh, and so I just want you to know the difference that you guys are making through your time, your efforts, your generosity, your participation, and what God is doing here. 
uh, to making a tangible, a real tangible difference uh, in that school and in many places around us. And so be encouraged this morning. Uh, the Lord's really up to something through um, this church and through what you're doing and through uh, God's grace here. And so just wanted to share that with you. On a lighter note, yesterday or the other day, I was coming out of Liberty Barbecue, okay? Everybody, you know, Liberty Barbecue is right up the road, okay? Best barbecue in town, all right? So, uh, and I'm from Alabama, so I know, okay? And uh, it's hard to find good barbecue. So it's up there. I was walking out because I had a lunch with somebody. I came out. I was walking through the parking lot, minding my own business. And these two girls drive by in a convertible and shoot me with a water gun. This is a true story. I'm just walking. I'm walking. They're like, have, you know. And I'm like, my shirt gets sprayed with water, you know. I'm just like, what even just happened? I don't even understand, you know, like, and they were laughing, and they just kept driving off, and I'm like, are you old enough to drive? I don't know. 16, when you're my age, 16-year-olds, whatever, they look like they're five, you know? It's just like, you just might as well be five years old. You're very, very little, and so uh, it, it was really crazy to me, so everybody, I just, this is a public service announcement, all right, uh, to look out for two girls in a convertible. I have no idea who they are. Uh, if by any chance you ladies are here by the providence of God, uh, I forgive you in the name of Jesus, and I hope you know God's love. Uh, so just be on the lookout if you're driving around. Maybe you get shot with a water gun. I thought I should use uh, this morning to at least give you a fair warning, all right? So uh, now, more seriously, we're going to open the Bible, okay, which is what we came here to do. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let's go! All right, we're excited to hear from the Lord this morning. As you open your Bible today, we're going to see the connection between suffering and growing, between suffering and growing, and how often the thing that seems to be taking away from your life is often adding to your life. And this is only true within God's kingdom because it operates by different rules. And so if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, I want you to see what God is offering you in Jesus through the gospel a life in which your sufferings are redeemed. And if you are here and you do know the Lord, I want you to be encouraged and get some heavenly perspective this morning that it is often within the suffering of your life that the growing of your life happens. And what seems to be taking away might actually be adding to. This is God's perspective for you in Jesus. So let's read 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 through 12. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith and all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay affliction to those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction 
away from the presence of the Lord in the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll stop there. As we have been talking about since 1 Thessalonians began, and now we're in 2 Thessalonians, uh, this same idea continues, the idea of more and more, that Paul is writing to the church, the way to move forward is to do more and more, not to add more things, but to do more of the right things over and over and over and over again. That's why he begins with affirming that this is happening. Look, you guys love each other, and that's increasing, and you're growing and this is the encouragement that Paul gives to them about growing in the faith and to do that more and more. And so I want you to continue to see that theme we've been talking about for months now, that to grow is not to necessarily try or do new things, but it's to do the right things over and 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 over again. And that's what we're going to be about, you know. We're just going to keep opening the Bible. We're going to keep serving our community. We're going to keep worshiping Jesus and we're going to keep loving one another, and we're just going to do that over and over and over again until God calls us home, you know? It's simple. It's simple. We don't need some novel trick. We don't need some new cool thing. We just need to commit to doing what God asks us to do over and over and over and over again, and that's where you're going to grow. What I want you to notice from the beginning here is where, God, where the grace of God resides, it increases. You see what I'm saying? Where real faith is lived out, it will increase. So because their faith is genuine, it is growing. It's almost a natural byproduct to say where the love of God is really at work, love increases. It's the love of God for goodness sake. It's not going to decrease. Where real faith is operating, faith grows. This is a guarantee. And here's what I want you to begin to consider in your life because you should ask the question, is my faith growing abundantly and is my love increasing or do I sit here Sunday morning having stalled out to some degree? Paul's affirming them to say, I'm so glad to see your faith growing. I'm so glad to see your love increasing. And I think I could say that as well for this church and for what God is doing here at City Light. And I'm so thankful for that. But you should evaluate now in your own life, because if the grace of God is active and alive in someone's life, it will bear fruit. It will increase. So have you stalled out this morning? Do you sit here kind of stuck, unsure how to move forward, spiritually dull, unable, it seems, to grow, to move forward, to find victory in certain areas of your life? Here's something I want you to consider if that's you. So I'm talking right, right to you, okay? If you stall, you're hearing you, but like, if you're honest, but yeah, I'm stalled out. It's not growing. It's not increasing. I may not be like completely losing, like going backwards, you know, in reverse 100 miles an hour. But um, I'm stalled out to some degree, okay? I don't know how to drive a clutch, all right? So I'm stalled out. That's what you're saying to me. I do know how to drive one, just to be clear, all right? Just to be clear. That was an example, okay? I can drive a clutch, all right? So... Uh, here's something for you to consider. The grace of God is just as needed for growing faith as for starting faith. Here's what, I, here's what you need. Maybe you've stalled out because you're not depending on God like when you began. 
and you have forgotten that the grace of God that started your faith is the grace that will grow your faith. The dependence upon God that started your faith is the same dependence that will grow your faith. The amount of mercy you needed from God to start your faith is the mercy you need to grow your faith. The work that God had to do to start your faith is the work that God has to do to grow your faith. The same grace you needed in the beginning is the same grace you need now. And the reason why you've stalled out is because you're not depending on God like you did in the beginning. The grace of God that starts your faith is the grace that grows your faith. The love that God has given you will only increase if you give yourself to it. If you enjoy God's love for you, this all comes by God's grace. And maybe you have stalled out because you don't depend upon God as you once did. And the grace of God that saved you is the grace of God that will keep you and the grace that will grow you. This is real and this is obvious in real life to us in so many ways as well, right? A mom is needed uh, to birth a baby and to grow and raise one, okay? Uh, the mom is needed after the, after the birth just as much as before, okay? Uh, the same is true with planting seeds. The gardener is needed to plant the seed and then also to care for it as it grows. You need the mercy of God to start and to save you, and you need the mercy of God to keep you and to grow you. You need engagement with God to start your faith. You need engagement with God to keep your faith going. You see what I'm saying? And so the same things that applied in the beginning are the very same things that need to continue to grow. And the reason why maybe you stopped growing is because you started listening to other things as opposed to being dependent upon the word of God. This is why I say, man shall not live by sermons alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And maybe you got saved because the Bible really got a hold of you, and then you became a Christian that just listens to sermons, and you don't go to the word of God yourself, so your faith has stalled out. You see what I'm saying? The same thing that started is the same thing you need to continue. And I think it's true for all of us that we settle into some sort of default mode where we're not depending and pursuing on God like we once did. And so what I want to do is call you back to that place to say, well, how do I grow in my faith? How does my faith grow abundantly? How does my love increase? Well, it's not, it's not complicated, and it's not crazy, and it's not novel. You don't need some new trick. Why don't you keep doing the same things you did at first? Go back to that. Keep doing the very simple things that God has given you to do. The grace of God is just as needed for growing your faith as for starting your faith. I also want you to see here in these verses the connection between faith and love. So this is just right now in verses 3 and 4. The connection between faith and love. He says, your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another increases. And these things go hand in hand. Here's what's understood from this, this verse, is that where faith grows, love increases. So if you want to increase love, you must grow your faith. Increased love is a byproduct of a growing faith. And some of you, right, are trying to love, love God and love others because it's the right thing without doing the very thing that will help increase your love. Your love has stalled out because you're not growing your faith. He says here that the grow, your faith is growing abundantly and the love for one another is increasing. Let me give you a scripture on this. Galatians 5, 6 says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So here's something for you, especially those of you 
who love to come to church and study the Bible and do all the things you should do, this will help you discern whether you're actually growing or not. The real sign of a growing faith is an increase in love. Your faith is growing abundantly and your love has increased for everyone. That's the marker. Not your faith is growing abundantly, your knowledge has increased, all that. Obviously those things are part of it, but the main sign, the main signal to you that your faith is actually active and growing is that your love is increasing. That's what happens. If faith grows, love increases. And there is no growing of faith where there's not an increase in love. And you can grow in church attendance, and you can, grow, you can increase in church attendance, you can increase in acts of service, you can increase in all these different things, but that's not going to increase love unless you grow your faith. See, that's the priority to say, if I grow my faith, then love will increase. And an and a, and a increasing love is the real sign of growing faith. So if I want to evaluate not whether I'm you know, coming to church and serving and giving money and doing the things I'm supposed to do, which are obviously essential and wonderful, but if I want to evaluate whether these things are, are creating a growing faith, then I simply have to look at my love. Do I love God and his people more over this last year than I did before? Do I not only have greater affections of love, I'm more sensitive to people's needs, I'm more aware of God's presence, I'm more emotionally connected to my Savior? That's one thing, but then also in my actions, am I living that out? Am I acting in love for God and for neighbor? The real sign of a growing faith is an increase in love for God and for people. And so a growing faith has three things. Now, I want, you, I, want you to, I want you to see from the rest of this passage. A growing faith is certain about three things, and that's what we're going to continue to look at now. The first thing is this. A growing faith is certain about suffering for Jesus. There is the certainty of suffering for Jesus. So a growing faith is ready theologically and experientially with God to handle suffering in a way that allows it to grow. A growing faith uses suffering to grow. It doesn't let suffering use it. A growing faith is ready and willing to handle these situations. Now remember, I have to say this, and I want to say this a lot. Paul was only in Thessalonians three weeks. Remember Christianity 101 for Paul? This is very important for us, right? What were the three main things he focuses on in 1 Thessalonians? The gospel, get ready to suffer, and Jesus is coming back. That's Christianity 101 for Paul. Here's the gospel, Okay, if you receive the gospel, you're going to suffer, so get ready, and take heart because Jesus is coming back soon. Those are the three things Paul kept, kept hammering home, and here he goes again in 2 Thessalonians 1, that suffering is expected, it is normalized within the kingdom of God. This, is, this should not come as a surprise to us. It should not knock us off track to say, well, I can't believe that would happen to me. This is supposed to be, at some level, normalized amongst the people of God to say, I am trained and ready, my faith is ready to handle these times of suffering that are sure to come. Paul says that we boast about you for your steadfastness in all your persecutions and afflictions, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Now here's the key for, here's the connection between suffering and growing is this. Suffering is often the soil in which the seed of our faith grows. Here's the connection between suffering and growing, and that suffering, which feels like it's taking away in the kingdom of God, is actually adding to. This is where you get some heavenly perspective on your earthly troubles. 
This is what you and I need to navigate life well. Suffering, biblically, is the soil in which the seed of our faith grows. If you kind of summarize this, these three or, three or four verses, you would say something like, your faith is growing abundantly in all your persecutions and afflictions. Right? I'm so thankful for your growing faith. And he says a few other things, but you would connect the big picture here. Where, how, where is their faith growing? In an environment of suffering. So the, the soil of suffering is the seed, is, is the place in which the seed of their faith has been put. And because the soil of suffering is good soil for faith to grow, then their faith begins to grow. And some of you, right, are so obsessed with finding seasons of comfort, which are wonderful, and God is good to give us times, good times. Praise the Lord for that. You shouldn't seek to suffer. But you're so ready and so uh, eager, right, to find a comfortable place that you're not actually taking advantage of the situation of suffering. To say, actually, in this moment, my faith will grow more, and it has the opportunity to grow more if I begin to water it. I'm in the soil, and if I actively engage with what God is doing, if I use it, I don't let it use me, then this is going to turn out to allow me to grow. Suffering is often the soil in which, your seed, in which the seed of your faith grows. You see how he says here that your steadfastness is evidence for the kingdom of God. Once again, and we've, we've gone over this with them, their endurance and perseverance in suffering is the witness to the people around them that what they have in Jesus is the real deal. It isn't the fact that things are going well for them and they're very successful and the wisdom of God has allowed them to be worldly successful. Those are not the signs. The sign is these people are suffering, dying, being persecuted, and they will not give up. As a matter of fact, they're still somehow joyful. And it's a witness. It says this is, the, this, is the, this is the sign to those. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, meaning that those who persecute you must deal with the fact that even while they persecute you, your faith proves to be real. Even in your suffering, your faith proves to be real. Even in your trials, it is the very place where your faith proves to be real. It certainly isn't pleasant, and it certainly would be nice for those things to be over as soon as possible. But they are an opportunity to give witness. It is the very mark of a Christian to have supernatural joy and perseverance in the midst of a trial that would overwhelm someone without Jesus. What is it that makes us different than the world around us is that we have the gospel and the Holy Spirit residing within us and the hope of Jesus. So how in the world could we suffer at the same level as those without those things? Doesn't make it easier, but it does give it some purpose. It's a witness to those around you. Look at this. I love how he says in verse 5 that this suffering is making you worthy of the kingdom of God. You see how he says that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. So here's another thing that you learn about suffering and, and growing. It's the suffering, right, that is making you and the situation of suffering that is actually forming you. It's making you become more like Jesus. It's making you into the person that God is forming you to be, which is worthy of the kingdom of God. It is the very thing that is bothering you that is actually making you the thing you want to be. The very thing that seems like it's taking away from your life on earth is actually creating and making you a person ready for heaven, a person worthy of the kingdom of God, 
a person worthy of a different order, you know, worthy of a different place, worthy of being with God. 2 Corinthians 4 teaches us the same thing, that this light and momentary affliction, it says, is producing a glory that far outweighs it all, meaning that the affliction I face is the very thing making the glory that I will enjoy. It isn't the happy byproduct. It isn't like, oh, it happened to work out that way. No, no, no. It's the cook. The suffering is the cook that's making the cake. And you don't get the cake without the cook. He's saying, listen, your suffering is making you worthy of the kingdom. So here's another thing for you to write down to navigate your suffering with a Christian heavenly perspective is there is a certainty for the Christian in suffering that though it is painful, it is producing something beautiful. This is heaven's perspective. This isn't what you can see right now, and it certainly may not feel that way, but heaven's perspective here, making you worthy of the kingdom. Second Corinthians 4, this light and momentary affliction, producing a glory that will far outweigh it all. On and on we go. Romans 8. I'm actually connected with Jesus, Romans 8 says, by the sufferings I endure for him. That is the very thing right, that marks my connection to him. So this is important for us to say, okay, it may be painful, but the Bible says it's producing something beautiful. So when I get heaven's perspective, I can navigate it as I should. So a growing faith is ready for the certainty of suffering for Jesus. Now, this is true also. A growing faith is aware of the certainty of suffering without Jesus. So now I want you to put some things in perspective. You see how he says, okay, you're enduring great suffering for Jesus. And then he spends verses 6 through 10 talking about the kind of suffering people experience without Jesus. And now you get some context for the kind of sufferings that are available to you. You can either suffer for Jesus or you can suffer without Jesus. And the suffering without Jesus is far, far, far worse. He says in verses 6 through 10, Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you to grant relief to you as well. Here it is. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven for his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. So this is something we ought to take extremely seriously, and especially to those of you who are here who do not know the Lord. I want you to be aware now of what's really coming. I don't, I'm not concerned about what the world says is possible or not possible. I want you to just give me 10 minutes now to deal with some realities in life that you cannot ignore. So what does it look like to suffer without Jesus? to suffer apart from Jesus, to suffer outside of the care and the protection of the gospel? Well, there's three aspects to it. The first is it's eternal. Verse nine, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. It's eternal. There is no annihilation because your suffering gets too immense. There is no second chances because you feel bad about it once you're suffering apart from the Lord. No, no, no. This is eternal. The suffering that people will experience outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ because they have not obeyed the gospel and have rejected the goodness of Jesus will be eternal. The Bible is absolutely plain and clear. It can't say it more clear than that. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. And eternal punishment is fitting because it is done by an eternal God and is dealing with an eternal soul. So if all of these things are eternal, your soul, God, then the sins that have created the distance between you and God 
if they aren't taken care of on the cross, you'll be dealing with forever. That's the point. This is the real thing that is promised and is happening and is coming. If you are outside of the care of the gospel and the good news, you need to deal with the fact that if you don't believe in Jesus, your suffering will be eternal in a place called hell, separated from God forever. It is eternal. The second thing is, is that when Jesus comes, it is final. So suffering apart from Jesus, what is it like? Well, it's eternal. It lasts forever. It never, ever, ever, ever ends. It never gets better. It never lessens up. There is no relief. That is the reality for those apart from God, that they will suffer forever. And when Jesus comes, it says, it is final. So when Jesus comes back, He's going to take care of his business, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God. So there is, once again, no second chances. Once Jesus comes back, it is final. Or as other parts of the Bible would clarify for you, once you meet Jesus, if you die before he comes back, it is final. Now, while you're living, is the only chance you have to avoid eternal suffering from God. From Jesus, The only chance that you have. And today might be the last day that you get a chance to repent and to turn away and to receive the good news of the gospel. When Jesus comes back and handles business, it is final. There will be no pleas for mercy. There will be no second chances. Or if you die before he comes back and you stand before the Lord, it is final. No matter how hard you cry, no matter how bad you feel. Today is the day of salvation, Hebrews 3 says. That's the, th- that's the same thing. The third mark of suffering without Jesus is that is it, away, is it away from the presence of the Lord, it says. James 1 tells us that from God comes all good things. Meaning that if I am away from the presence of the Lord, I am away from all good. I have no access to good. So the only reason even people on earth who don't trust in Jesus while they're here still experience wonderful things is because of God's goodness and grace to human race. And being separated either by death or by the return of Jesus from the presence of the Lord means that I now enter into a place of eternal darkness, eternal evil. I I separate myself from everything good and I enter into an eternity of only bad. I separate myself from all mercy and I enter into an eternity of only judgment. I separate myself from all grace and I enter into an eternity of only wrath. I separate myself from all love and I enter into an eternity of only hate. To to reject the gospel is to reject good, mercy, love, kindness, happiness, joy. This is what it means for you to say no to Jesus is to say no to life itself. I want you to have fair warning that if you separate yourself from Jesus by not putting your faith in him, you are separating yourself from joy, from love, from eternal happiness, and you are choosing by your own will to enter into eternal darkness. And I just plead with you. I don't know where y'all are at today or who's watching. Just don't do that. Like, why in the world would you do that? This is why the gospel is such good news. And here's, where, here's what puts in context for you. So those are the three aspects here, at least, of suffering without Jesus. It's eternal. When he comes, it's final, and it's away from the presence of the Lord, from whom all good things come. Now, here's the reality for us as we navigate life is you only have two options. You can suffer for Jesus now or without Jesus forever. You see what I'm saying? So now we have context for my suffering to say, right, in, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. And so not having trouble and not suffering is not an option. So that's off the table. 
while I'm on earth. And now I have two options. I can suffer for Jesus now and enjoy his presence and his leadership and the hope of the gospel and the good news in the Bible and the community of God and all the things that God gives me to navigate that. I can, I can suffer for Jesus now and accumulate treasures in heaven while I do that. How wonderful. Or I can suffer without Jesus forever. Those are my two options as a person. And I want to encourage you now with that context to say you would happily choose, I'd rather suffer for Jesus now. Right? So if my suffering feels overwhelming, it's not the other option. You know what I'm saying? If I feel like this is going to end me, it's not. If I feel like this is too much, it's not. If I feel like I can't do it, you can't. If I feel like, you see what I'm saying? Because now the other choice is it is too much. So the suffering I'm enduring now, the Bible says, light and momentary. Why? Because it's connected to an eternity of happiness. But the suffering, the the, the joy that I would experience now or the pleasures I could get from the world are nothing if they lead to an eternal separation from Jesus forever. You see what I'm saying? So this is the verse, Mark 8. What What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? And for you to come in here and say, well, I don't want to trade the pleasures of the world because I have to obey new rules in the kingdom of God. You say, I don't want to come to Jesus because I don't want to live that way. I don't want to deny myself. I don't want to give up these things. And you see what I'm presenting to you. If you reject Jesus, you're giving up everything. It's so foolish. You say, I don't want to give up sleeping around. I don't want to give up. Make us, I don't want to give up living how I want to live. I don't want to enter into a season of living for other people. I don't want to deny myself. I don't want to not do things that I fleshly want to do. I don't want to follow Jesus in that way. And I hear you. And every person in the world understands that. I feel that. I understand what you're saying. It's not pleasant in the moment, but I just want to present to you heaven's perspective to say you're giving up nothing and you're getting everything if you'll come to Jesus. But if you reject Jesus, you're giving up everything you say you want anyways. You say, I want pleasure, so I'm not going to follow Jesus. And I'll flip it around on you and say, well, you want pleasure, you have to follow Jesus. It's the only way. Would you like to be happy for 20 years or a billion? You see what I'm saying? It's so foolish to say, I want to live my life, so I'm going to reject Jesus, because if I come under Jesus, I have to live the way he wants me to live. And to do that is to choose to kill yourself, to choose to deny yourself, is to choose to deny everything God wants for you. You can either suffer for Jesus now or without Jesus forever. And my prayer and my plea is everybody within the sound of my voice would choose to receive the good news of the gospel and to suffer for Jesus now rather than without Jesus forever. And to those of you who are in Christ, this is good news. This puts context for your life to say, well, God is using my life and he has been so good and kind to me that I don't have to suffer without Jesus forever. Because of heaven's perspective, I can navigate my suffering now. I have context. Right? Context is very important in life. This is why, like, Things like Twitter and social media are bad. They don't have context, you know. Or why they lead to bad. They're not inherently bad. They lead to these things. They don't have context. This is why when you come into a conversation and you've missed most of it, but you hear a sentence and you think something because of the sentence, but you don't have context, you know, then you run away with ideas and speculations and then you go start gossiping about somebody because you heard a sentence in the middle of an entire conversation and you don't have context. This is why you don't pick up a book at page 200 and start reading. You need context. It's not going to make sense, Right? So as I look at the particular suffering of my life, here's what you do. You hyper-focus on that, and you don't provide context. 
so it's troublesome to you, right? It's like you just picked up the book on page 200, and you're like, well, this doesn't make sense. Why would this be happening now to me? Why would a good God allow this in my life? And the only reason we struggle with that is because we, we deny heaven's perspective. We're living without context. Right? The context is that God made a perfect world and you and I destroyed it with our sin. The context is that every human being deserves the wrath of God because of our sin. The context is that you and I deserve to be separated from God forever in a place called hell. The context is that the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came down to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross to pay your punishment, rose from the dead. And now he says, if anybody would believe in me, that person would have eternal life. The context is that God now comes and says, if you trust and believe in me, I'll give you my Holy Spirit and he'll reside with you until I call you home with me. The context is that I could be suffering without Jesus forever, which I deserve, or I could suffer a little bit for Jesus now. The context is that God loves me and died for me. The context is that God's given me a hope and a future. The context is that this suffering in this moment, 2022, is connected to something I will experience in glory 500 million years from now. You need context. You need context. I need context. And because you're so narrowly focused on the situation, you haven't provided yourself context. And it is the context and the biblical perspective that's going to allow you some hope. It's going to allow you to navigate it the way Jesus would want you to. It's going to allow you to do it and to get through it and to endure and to stick with it. And it's going to help you see why the gospel is such good news. How wonderful it is that you have a promise that your suffering will not last forever. How wonderful it is that you don't have to suffer eternally apart from God. How wonderful it is you don't go from suffering now to suffering forever. Why the gospel is such good news. So in the midst of, you know what grows your faith? Is in the midst of your suffering, you cling to the gospel. Right? And then you become more like Jesus. And your faith grows because you love the gospel more. Your faith grows because you're like holding, you're clinging to Jesus. Your faith grows because you're so focused on the kingdom and what God has promised. You're, you're, you're hanging, barely hanging on to the promises of God. Your, your suffering leads you back to the Bible. Say, so what does God say and how do I navigate this? That's how your faith grows. And so in the midst of your suffering, get some context and cling to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And watch your faith explode. Watch it grow. How much more would you love Jesus when you, when you realize that he died to take care of the sins that are causing you so much pain. How wonderful. That's good news. How wonderful it is when you just sit and meditate on the fact that this is painful now, but it's producing something beautiful later. This is really good news. See, the gospel and the grace of God doesn't just start your faith. It grows it. This is what it, that's what I mean to say, I'm going to hold on to the gospel. I've been saved, you know, for years and years and years now. And I'm going to hold on to the gospel just as much in this moment now as I did when I received it at first. And the thing that started my faith is going to be the thing that grows my faith. I'm going to cling to that. I need the good news. You need to provide context for your life, context for your struggles, context for your sufferings. And the Bible's going to do this for you. I read a great quote. He said this, Matthew Henry, who's wonderful. 1600s kind of guy, you know, so he says this, God's suffering people will lose nothing by their sufferings, and their enemies will gain nothing by their advantages against them, meaning that in your suffering, you lose nothing. With heaven's perspective, 
right? It's not only a loss, it's an addition. What feels like is being taken away is being added to. And when you look around, you see those who are prospering and doing well, who have advantages against you in this world, those advantages mean nothing in light of heaven's perspective. You need context. So the certainty of suffering for Jesus and the certainty of suffering without Jesus. Finally, as we close, the certainty of seeing the glory of Jesus. A growing faith is certain about the glory of Jesus. He says, to this end, we always pray for you, and God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. So the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 11, God is making you worthy of his calling. Well, how is he doing that, right? Um, So like a good coach, he's training you, he's working on you, he's making you worthy of playing in the game, worthy of being a part of the kingdom, worthy of being, he's doing this. He's making you who you are supposed to be. Well, how is God doing that? Well, verse 11 says he's fulfilling every resolve for good and every work of faith. So every desire to do good and every act in faith to do good to those around you, God is fulfilling. He's making them useful. Why is he doing that, it says? Well, verse 12, so that Jesus would be glorified. I love this. A little, two little commas, four very important words. And you in him. You ever thought about that? He says, Jesus will be glorified. And you say, yes and amen. He doesn't stop there, though, and he says, and you too. Wait, what? This is all about Jesus' glory. What, you know, like, I would be scared to say a few words like that, you know, like, oh, yeah, I'm not trying to be glorified. Like, you get struck down for that kind of stuff, you know. Not to us, not to us, but to your name to give the glory, Psalm 115. So you think, wow, this is so wonderful when the Bible, like, slaps you and you're like, that doesn't, I don't understand. And you sit and you should think about it for a minute. Okay, this is good for all of us. A good Bible reading. Say, like, well, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. But here's, here's what does make sense. Uh, so the Bible talks about us being co heirs with Jesus. Meaning, and Hebrews 2 even calls Jesus our brother. Meaning that as children of God, we all equally participate in the Father's blessing and care. Meaning that the glory that Jesus will receive now and to the ends of the earth and especially in heaven, we get to partake and to benefit within the glory of Jesus. So Jesus will be glorified and we will be made like him. Jesus will be lifted up, right? And we will be able to join him and worship him. Jesus will never suffer again, right? But we will never suffer again with Jesus, right? As Jesus is glorified, as he goes up, so this is like, like if somebody in your family got really rich, you know, or if somebody you love just got really successful, or the person that was your coworker now becomes the boss and they're your good friend, right? Your status gets elevated, right? All right, they're rich and famous, so I get to do some of those things, all right? They're going to a vacation for two weeks, and they're going to pay for my trip with them, you know? Well, my friend just got promoted, and he's going to give me a little bit more of a salary, you know what I'm saying? I got connections. How wonderful it is to have connections. Life is all about connections. Who you know, okay? The best person to know is God, because when Jesus gets elevated, right, you being connected to him, go with him. This is the good news. It doesn't make you more than him, right? You don't receive glory against Jesus, but you get to participate in the benefits of Jesus. So Jesus gets great benefits, you know, from being the son of God. Jesus gets lifted up. Jesus gets glory. And because you are connected to him, you get to enjoy the benefits of Jesus. So living for God's glory is also living for your good. See how this works? How wonderful it is. To say, I'm going to give all my attention and efforts to something else, God's glory. 
But heaven's perspective is, as God gets glorified, I get to enjoy him and join him in there. So actually, as I deny myself, I'm actually providing something to myself. You see, heaven's perspective, come on, we don't think like that unless the Bible says stuff like that. Jesus is inviting you in on his benefits of being God. Jesus is inviting you in on what he rightfully deserves, glory. Jesus is inviting you in on what he only has the rights to, eternal life, right? Jesus is the only one. He owns it, he has rights to it, and he has invited you to participate. It's his beach house, and he's given you the week there, you know? It's not yours, and you have no right to be there, but he made an invitation. And it's not your glory, and you have no right to be happy forever, but he has given you an invitation. This is what it means for God to do that for you. And this is what I want for you. And this is what the Lord wants for you. With that motivation, you can continue every resolve for good and every work of faith. So this is how I wanted to close. Aditya, you want to come up on, on the keys. This is how I wanted to close today. Because I wanted to encourage many of you. So first, I want those of you who need to receive the invitation of Jesus to come and follow him to do so. But to those of you who are trying to follow Jesus, you might be a little stuck. You're losing your resolve. This is my concern for you. You've lost the resolve. You've lost the motivation to work by faith. And it's fading because life is hard and suffering stinks and it just knocks you down, you know. So you're really zealous to do these things, and then you just get knocked down. And so you've lost your resolve, and you've lost the motivation, and you've lost the effort to put the work in. I wanted to encourage you this morning, and just to tell you this, to stick with it because God will stick with you. In light of heaven's perspective and the context on your life, the resolve that God put in your heart, the zeal that God gave you for some good work, the calling God has put on you, the passion he has put inside of you to do this for these people in this place, the resolve to be this kind of person for the glory of God, that passion and zeal to live out God's kingdom while you're on earth. I want you, I want you, and I'm begging you and pleading with you with heaven's perspective and some context to stick with it. To stick with it because God will stick with you. Let me give you this last picture. So my son, Jay, um, he's 10, and he broke something in our house, and I was trying to teach him about money. So I started making him mow the grass to earn the money back, okay? So it was like, obviously, he can't pay me back. So we got to think, all right, what is he, he going to do? So uh, he had to begin mowing the grass, which he's done before, but this time it was more like you have to do all of it. You have to do it by yourself, and you have to do it even when it's hard, you know? So the first time he ever tried, that was cute. Oh, he mows the grass. Look at that little kid mowing the grass. That's cute. You know, whatever he gets done, he gets done. I'll finish it. This time I was like, okay, uh, earning money is hard. Money doesn't just come, all right? You think, you think that happens, and I understand why you think that. It just shows up for you. But that's not how money works. Uh, and if you break something, that's something we got to care for the stuff that we have. Money, just, you, can just, you can just throw money around. That's how you got to earn it. So, you know, five minutes in, he's sweating. And he really wants to give up, you know? He's like, this is, uh, this is hard. I'm like, that's the point, okay? I hope you realize this. This is hard. This is hard work, okay? Money, making money isn't like fun all the time. It can be sometimes, but they say it's hard. It's hard work. <clears throat> and, you know, I was trying to teach him how to mow the grass. So you got to put lines. You got to do it real good so that you make sure you don't miss. And if you don't put the tire in the right place, you can mow a strip, but you'll miss like this much of a strip, you know? Or if you turn wrong at the end, there was patches. And so he's 10. He does. The mower's kind of big, you know? He's not going to do it just right. Uh, but I was real proud of him for sticking with it. 
Uh, and I kept trying to correct him to say, well, put the tire where it needs to go, and that's going to prevent these strips. You keep having to go back. And, yeah, yeah, daddy, yeah, yeah. And I could tell he was trying his best. So he wasn't being lazy. He was trying his best. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to stop correcting him. Uh, he's trying. He's doing the best he can do. I've given him the information that he needs, and he's doing the best he can do. And I went, and I got a weed eater, and every strip he would miss, I would just follow behind. And I would just clean it up, you know? It was just patches here and there. He did most of the work. I was very proud of him. And every time, though, it would strip. He would miss. And so he missed, you know, a decent portion of the yard. But when the work was done, it looked great. It was beautiful. The end product was wonderful. And that was because I was following behind him, you know, evening things out for him, filling in the gaps, doing the things that he couldn't do, didn't know how to do, was inadequate to finish. And I want you to have some heaven's perspective that that's exactly what God is doing for you. So I could tell Jay, just keep mowing the grass. It's going to look great. And I knew that because I was going to come behind him. I was going to fulfill every resolve that he had to do good. And I was going to do it with my power which is beyond his. And that's exactly what God is saying to you this morning here. You're trying your best. He sees that you're giving him what you got. Obviously, you're sin. I'm sin. We have sins. Obviously, nobody's perfect, but he sees you. You're in it. You want what's best. But you've lost that resolve. And he's coming behind you and he's saying, just keep mowing the grass. You may miss a lot of spots, but the end product's going to look good. Why? Because I'm with you. And I will fulfill that work with my power, not yours. Okay? So stick with it. Stick with it. And God will stick with you. Let me pray. Let's respond to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you really do finish or what is started, that you really do complete, that you really do fulfill every resolve for good. I pray, Lord, that everything that needs to happen in this room and to those watching online would happen, Lord, that those who need to be rightfully afraid of the wrath of God, of eternal punishment, Lord, that you would put the fear of God in their heart. And that the good news of the gospel of salvation in Jesus' name would come so fresh and new and that people would believe and trust in you and repent and turn and and turn to you. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ who may be stuck, Lord, that they would return to the same things that started their faith. And I pray, Lord, that you would keep us all motivated to keep mowing the grass, Lord. Help us to stick with it. Keep parenting our kids. Keep loving our neighbors to keep uh, fighting sin and temptation, to keep working hard at work, to keep giving ourselves um, fully to those around us, to keep putting other people's needs above our own, to keep committing to serving the poor and to participating in the life of a church so that we can grow and help others grow. I just pray that you would empower all of us, Lord, to stick with it. And we thank you, Lord, that you promised to stick with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Why don't you stand, let's respond to the Lord.